know if the election been on October 27th, I'd be your president. Look, this was terrible. It makes me mildly nauseous to think that we might have had some impact on the election. But honestly, it wouldn't change the decision. In fact, the only thing your mouth is good for is being Vladimir Putin's holster. Speak in a unified voice against incitement to violate and violence and hate. There's such hatred, but hopefully there won't be such hatred for very long. It's time to make America great again. Join the movement. The Neil A. Caruso Show Podcast. Time to dream big. Informative, insightful, and valiant leadership. Telling it the way it is to make a difference. All right, it is May 3rd, 2017. A Wednesday podcast for you. Welcome to the program, everybody. A huge show planned for today because, frankly, we have a hell of a lot going on in this country from healthcare, where we will start today to the budget. And then later on, we have a snowflake segment. Stephen Colbert saying a lot of incendiary remarks uh, aimed at the president without any respect. Uh, we'll talk about that later on. Plus, of course, Hillary Clinton and Barack Obama cannot go away. Uh, so we'll have that all covered for you today, uh, plus some national security issues, all of that. So we have a lot planned. Uh, let's get to healthcare because that affects everybody. That includes all of you who are listening. Um, so one of the challenges that President Trump has faced is getting this House uh, of Representatives to vote on Obamacare. Um, frankly, I have a lot of problems with Congress, and we'll talk about that today uh, from healthcare and the budget. Um, on health care. The House now is expected to vote tomorrow. Now, last time in March, the end of March, they were planning on voting on this, um, on the original American Health Care Act bill. And when they were set to vote, they pulled it on uh, the last hour. So we'll see if this actually goes to vote tomorrow. But Majority Leader Kevin McCarthy said that the bill will pass, that we will be voting on the health care Tomorrow, um, McCarthy says that they have enough votes. Now, the House Freedom Caucus has endorsed this plan, uh, so uh, that is encouraging for President Trump and those who have endorsed this. It looks like only one person from the House Freedom Caucus uh, is not uh, going to vote for this, but um, that's what Mark Meadows is saying. Uh, He's the uh, Freedom Caucus chairman. You know, with this House bill, now the American Health Care Act, I was very critical of, as you know. It didn't lower costs enough. Uh, deductibles, as you know, in uh, Arizona, 116% increase in premiums and uh, about uh, for over 40% in some areas and uh, very high increases of premiums. Deductibles are so high you can't use your insurance. So I felt that it was so important to make sure that states can control a lot of the health care issues, that it wasn't a uh, big government bill or a one-size-fit-all bill, which is why we are in this mess in the first place. And the more that I have talked to experts 
on the matter. That's what they say, that we cannot have just a one comprehensive big government bill. And frankly, this is what this bill is. Um, so I'm not enamored, to be honest with you, I'm not that in love with this um, amendment either, the MacArthur Amendment. Um, you know, I, I, am, I do want this to pass because we got to repeal Obamacare. Obamacare is a disaster, okay, because the premiums, the deductibles, the quality of health care has gone down. I was talking to someone today who was telling me that that she and her parents, that their health care has gone, the costs have gone up and up, and they got bumped off their plan. They couldn't see their doctor. And that's a very common problem with Obamacare, okay? Now, despite what a lot of liberals are saying. Now, the MacArthur Amendment, so you know, this is what we talked about on Sunday's program, the Neil A. Caruso Show, which is archived, by the way, on neilacaruso.com. Very good show on Sunday. That was the uh, first 100 Days show uh, and our 10th episode. And I went over the MacArthur Amendment, which was um, an amendment that was negotiated between Representative Tom MacArthur, Republican from New Jersey, and Representative Mark Meadows, a Republican from North Carolina, and the House Freedom Caucus chair. Now, they know they're not getting any Democratic support. They put this amendment forth because the House Freedom Caucus were the ones preventing the original bill from passing, and really for good reason. Uh, the MacArthur Amendment to the American Health Care Act allows states to request waivers of pre-existing conditions, which are also known as community rating. More on that in a second. States may opt out of the essential health benefits, so a lot of um, the federal government has mandated through Obamacare that they must cover women's health. They must cover, and that women's health, by the way, that means all men have to be have to have women's health coverage, which makes absolutely no sense at all. So states may opt out of these essential um, health benefits. Uh, they're not really all that essential, okay? Despite the name, people who maintain continuous coverage would still be protected from higher premiums. Uh, states may waive a thirty percent surcharge in a bill for people who have a gap in coverage. Uh, and it maintains many provisions of the original American Health Care Act, but some of these provisions, especially pre-existing conditions, would lower the cost. Now, what have I always said about pre-existing conditions? Uh, while I understand it's a uh, necessity in many people's minds, I am not in favor of covering pre-existing conditions. And the reason is because it's like flood insurance, is how I always describe it. And so if I sound like a broken record, I sound like a broken record, get used to it. Um, <laughs> I'm teasing. Uh, when you have uh, flood insurance for your home, uh, you buy it. You cannot buy it during a flood. You buy it before a flood. That's why you have insurance. So if your house is being flooded, you can't call up and say, I want flood insurance while your house is being flooded during a hurricane. No, you have to have it before or I'm sorry, but they can't help you. Okay? Or any other insurance. Life insurance. You don't buy life insurance when you have cancer. It doesn't work that way. So pre-existing conditions are pretty... Listen, for babies, may, maybe there could be a provision. And I'll talk about that in a second. As, um, we'll hear from Jimmy Kimmel, and I'm sure you you saw it all over the place because uh, this uh, monologue went viral Um you know, unfortunately, and listen, our thoughts and prayers go out to, to the Kimmel family in terms of uh, his son and his condition. But frankly, 
uh, you know, the government should not be required through our taxpayer dollars to pay for everyone's health insurance. It doesn't make practical sense when you have 318 million people in the country. Um, and pre-existing uh, conditions would mean that if someone is already sick, that they can that they're going to go out and purchase insurance at the expense of other people. It doesn't make sense, and it hurts Americans who want insurance for if they get sick, um, that are buying insurance for insurance reasons to protect against uh, any uh, health problems that come up in the future. I'll talk about pre-existing conditions uh, more in a second. I want to let um, I want to play this. This is Jimmy Kimmel. Uh, on his program the other night, uh, talked about um, the uh, plan, the budget, and this will tie into our budget conversation, which I'm very critical of, to be honest with you. I don't, do not like this budget. Uh, but he talks about that, and he talks about pre-existing conditions and makes a plea uh, to Congress. This is uh, Jimmy Kimmel, courtesy Jimmy Kimmel Live on ABC. President Trump last month proposed a $6 billion cut in funding to the National Institute of Health. And thank God our congressman um, made a deal last night to not go along with that. They actually increased funding by $2 billion, and I applaud them for doing that. Because more than, more than 40% of the people who would have been affected by those cuts to the National Institute of Health are children, and it, it would have a major impact on a lot of great places, including Children's Hospital in Los Angeles, which is so unbelievably sad to me we were brought up to believe that we live in the greatest country in the world. But in, until what, a few years ago, millions and millions of us had no access to health insurance at all. You know, before 2014, if you were born with congenital heart disease like my son was, there was a good chance you'd never be able to get health insurance because you had a pre-existing condition. You were born with a pre-existing condition. If your parents didn't have medical insurance, you might not live long enough to even get denied because of a pre-existing condition. If your baby is going to die, and it doesn't have to, it, it shouldn't matter how much money you make. That, I think that's something that, whether you're a Republican or a Democrat or something else, we all agree on that, right? I mean, we do. to make sure that the people who are supposed to represent us, the people who are meeting about this right now in Washington, understand that very clearly. Let's stop with the nonsense. This isn't football. There are no teams. We are the team. It's the United States. Don't let their partisan squabbles divide us on something every decent person wants. We need to take care of each other. I saw a lot of families there, and... No parent should ever have to decide if they can afford to save their child's life. It, it just shouldn't happen. Not here. So, uh, anyway, thank you for listening. I promise I'm not going to cry for the rest of the show. <laughs> Please say a prayer uh, for or send positive thoughts to the families with children who are still in the hospital now because they need it. And... Um, Thanks. We have a special show tonight. All right. So Jimmy Kimmel uh, the other night talking about uh, his son's condition. And listen, uh, again, our thoughts and prayers go out to his family and, and any of those um, you know, children who are suffering. Uh, this is not about that. And see, what Jimmy Kimmel did, and I listen, I agree that we shouldn't let political differences divide us. Good point. We are on one team.
Um, but we can have diff we can have difference of opinion. We can have an argument here. Just because Jimmy Kimmel's crying doesn't mean I can't criticize what his statement is. Um, and so when it comes down to and listen, he's a comedian. Okay, he doesn't understand the substance of the healthcare. Um, you know, while a very emotional plea, very nice. Okay, and it wasn't divisive. Okay, I respect his opinion. However, in when you look at the way that the costs are, um, and to use to see, he put politics into his monologue by using his child's condition as a plea for a liberal plan. And frankly, like I said, any liberal, you know, single payer type of plan would raise the costs on regular Americans. Americans don't, and this is what I said on Sunday, Americans don't want their taxes raised. They want relief. They want to be free of um, all the regulations that the Obama administration put on them. Uh, and, you know, we as middle class folks don't need, um, you know, strenuous uh, taxes, and we don't need a healthcare system that doesn't allow us to see our doctor and that we can't afford, okay? So, and we shouldn't be paying for other people's health care. Now, his point that Jimmy Kimmel is making is that the federal government should control health care. Now, I push back on that, that the point of the state waiver program is actually um, to treat babies like Kimmel's baby better than the federal government does to allow a state and local government which has different laws okay and understands their people and their people's needs better should have more hands in the dough on the health care the federal government should not make a one-size-fit-all health care system that regulates and mandates every single american let local governments have some control on that because the federal bureaucracy blows everything up, okay? The federal bureaucracy, okay, which is too big, is in our money, okay? They end up uh, raising costs on everything, whether it be any sort of uh, spending program, whether it be the budget, okay, and both parties do it. Okay, this is not a Democrat-Republican thing, honestly, because the Republicans are complicit in this, too. Um, now, I can understand why President Trump—and listen, President Trump, like I said, is not an ideologue. Um, he is someone—listen, he he wants pre-existing conditions. I actually don't agree with that for several reasons. I think there should be a provision in there, though, that ensures that children under a certain age are taken care of. And if that and if the state and local governments— can't supply that uh, um, assistance, then the federal government should be able to put in federal dollars like they are going to do under Trump's um, Veterans Empowerment Program to allow them to uh, seek private health care um, at the cost of the government, which is only fair. Um, so while Jimmy Kimmel makes an interesting and, um, you know, obviously makes a, 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 a compelling plea it doesn't obligate me, doesn't obligate you to, or anyone else to pay for someone else's health care. Just because, 
you know, your child is sick and I'm sorry to hear that, that doesn't mean that we should be paying for his health care. Um, and a free market approach would mean that he can negotiate, basically, and seek out any health care um, across state lines within the free marketplace that would be a true competitive market. When you go to buy um, a computer, for instance, uh, you know, like Best Buy and all these stores, they allow you to negotiate. You can compare prices, and then they match that lower price. And if they don't, you take the lower price. That's how healthcare should work. It should be a free market. It shouldn't be, um, you know, federally uh, regulated that would put controls on how we can buy health insurance and that anyone can get health insurance. Why should, let me ask you, why should I be buying health insurance if I can get health insurance at a affordable cost, really, not really, but get health insurance with a pre-existing condition? So I don't have to pay insurance. Uh, I guess what Kimmel is proposing is cut out Obamacare taxes like Trump seeks to do in his Trump reform plan and his uh, tax reform plan. Cut out the Obamacare, Obamacare taxes that, that kill us and kill small businesses and maintain the pre-existing conditions, okay? And then what are we going to, what are we going to do? The pre-existing conditions then would allow anyone to not have to pay a tax, a penalty, not have to buy health insurance until they're sick. And then the federal government pays for your health insurance after you're sick and you're diagnosed. That's honestly, that doesn't, that defeats the whole purpose of insurance. Um, so to recap, this health care vote um, is supposed to happen tomorrow, tomorrow, Thursday, the 4th of May. Um, we'll see what happens. I mean, that's expected to go to the House and then it would go to the Senate. Um, but, you know, I, I just, I, I don't know. And I'm not that enamored with this health care bill, but we got to get it done. We got to get rid of Obamacare. It's a it's a total mess. And we got to look forward and get ahead. Now, the budget, okay, the House just approved today a $1.1 trillion spending measure with bipartisan support. Um, the spending bill is terrible. I am ashamed at Congress. I blame the Republicans of Congress. And frankly, I have a lot of questions for President Trump, to be honest with you. This bill is not what Trump supporters signed up for. This is not what Americans voted for on the 8th of November. And I'll go through what this uh, spending bill did, but it is terrible. It gives Democrats a lot of power here, and it doesn't fund the wall. Um, and while it increases border security, some payments there, um, I question the Republican leadership. I question Paul Ryan. What the hell is he doing? Okay, because this health care vote has been a mess. Hopefully we vote on it tomorrow and we better get it in. But this is just one of several pieces of legislation that should be put forth. This cannot be just a one-time bill because it won't do enough. It won't lower costs enough. And the government is too big. And that's exactly what this bill is, is a big government spending barrage. $1.1 trillion. Democrats and Republicans both jockeying to claim partial victory. I think it's a total failure. 
as the measure goes to the Senate for final approval. 309 to 118, the measure passed the House. House Minority Leader uh, Nancy Pelosi claimed victory for blocking Trump's proposals, including funding for the wall on the border, which is necessary, which we need, and popular domestic programs. Um, and, well, President Trump is going to cut some of these domestic programs like community developed grants. So Pelosi's claiming a win. Whenever Pelosi wins, the United States fails. Um, Paul Ryan is assuring conservatives, which, to me, Paul Ryan has no clout right now, has no—I I just don't see the leadership there. Uh, I'm, I don't trust Paul Ryan. He's assuring conservatives, as if his word is gold— that the bill is a win for Trump and Republicans controlling Congress, citing, quote, a really good down payment on rebuilding the military and, quote, the biggest increase in border security in a decade. While that may be true, the wall is necessary, and we failed already in 2006. Both Republicans and Democrats supported building a wall. Yeah, okay, we could go back to the tape and let you hear Chuck Schumer supporting the wall, and Barack Obama supporting the wall, and Hillary Clinton supporting the wall in 2006. By the time Obama came as president in 2009, they did not appropriate enough money, and they totally nixed uh, this border wall that we need. When we have an opioid epidemic, and we're going to get into later on immigration, uh, it is uh, so imperative that we have a border wall to secure our country, um, to add surveillance with that as part of this bill, but it doesn't do enough. We need a wall as a deterrent, um, and we need um, to secure that border as people um, people from El Salvador, MS-13 gang members, and story on that later on, um, and all these bad dudes, bad hombres coming into our country and selling drugs to our kids. Now, this bipartisan $1.1 trillion government uh, spending bill uh, does a few things. First of all, it's way too big. It's 1,665 pages, which is outrageous. Um, it increases the Pentagon budget but denies the construction of the wall, like I said. $593 billion for the military, which is good. Uh, $15 billion of Trump's $30 billion emergency request from early, earlier this year. Now, I get it. It's a negotiation. You can't get all $30 billion you wanted, and you get $15 billion. Okay, it's a negotiation. Fine. Um, the Pentagon would receive a $26 billion increase over last year, a 4% uh, increase. Uh, troops would receive a 2.1% pay hike, good for them, instead of the 1.6% recommended by former President Barack Obama. Uh, there was a $21 billion to procure 13 Navy ships and $8.2 billion for 74 F-35 aircrafts, which President Trump has negotiated the price down, as well as $85 million in emergency money for Tomahawk missiles to replace those fired in the strike against Syria last month. Now, there's also uh, a lot of money for foreign aid and State Department diplomacy, uh, almost $7 billion for humanitarian programs. On domestic spending, there will be $1.3 billion to extend health benefits, to more than 22,000 retired coal miners and their families. That's a win for Trump. That is. Uh, $8.8 .8 billion for the FBI, a 3% increase over current levels. $19.7 billion for NASA. President Trump is um, recommitted to space exploration and uh, 
boat of uh, patriotism. $11.2 billion from the IRS, which is equal to current funding. Uh, you also have, uh, now this is interesting, a $341 million uh, budget item for replacement fencing along the Mexico border. So you're going to replace some of the fencing, but you're not going to build the wall and complete it, which I don't get. $170 million for communication and surveillance along the border and $100 million for access roads. But the $1 billion request from President Trump's new border wall construction has been denied. Now, listen, I don't know why it's a political issue. Frankly, securing the country, that should be a bipartisan. That should not be a political debate. That should be um, like clockwork, especially when you have uh, a massive heroin and opioid epidemic that is going to our kids, that people are taking it and dying uh, with these drugs coming across the border. This should be a no-brainer. It was a no-brainer in 2006. It's still a no-brainer in 2017. Uh, but because President Trump, you know, he's so vile, okay, that he, because he said that he's going to build a wall, we're going to resist, which is just stupid, okay? We need the wall. We need it. Um, now, this budget, and the reason why I don't like it is for a few reasons, okay? Too many subsidies. Too much uh, big government control, and uh, we don't have the wall, okay? And so when you look at this budget, $1.1 trillion is still funding Obama's agenda. It's still funding it, which is unbelievable to me. Now, you have to understand, elected officials from both parties, not just Democrats, they love big government because they love control. They love power. This is what they feed on, and this is why we have to institute term limits and drain the swamp and get rid of these politicians who love big government and control over the American people. Now, this bill is yet another massive spending bill that instead of what we should be having for a spending bill, the way it should work and that it has worked is that it would be a series of appropriation bills, but instead they put 11 smaller 2017 appropriation bills into one huge piece of legislation that never works for the American people. This is not the way congressional appropriations are supposed to be. Under regular order, which Paul Ryan says that they will get to, I don't trust Paul Ryan right now, um, under regular order, Congress would pass a budget and then they would pass 12 separate annual appropriation bills. That's how it works. Well, this omnibus uh, spending bill is another broken promise from this Congress. They only worked eight days in April. President Trump is working his ass off. And these people in Congress are slowing progress. The Republicans should be ashamed of themselves. They really should be. Uh, I'll get to shutting down the government in a second because I don't think it was a bad idea to shut down the government. Um, more on that in a second. Trump's budget proposals, which made the government smaller, turn out to be just proposals. President Trump's budget, I hailed. I loved his budget proposal. And we talked about that when he proposed it. That came from the Office of uh, Budget Management, um, 
Mick Mulvaney is the director there. And that proposal would have lowered government's control on the American people. It would have cut spending. It would have maybe not reduced the deficit up front, but it would have moved us towards that, especially with tax reform and health care being worked on. The budget would have helped middle-class folks. It would have also beefed up security. Now, the budget does beef up military, and that's a win for Trump. No question. But it doesn't go far enough. And frankly, where is the fight from Republicans? Where is it? Every year, they say, we are going to fight. We will fight with Democrats and make sure that we get our proposals in there. And every damn time, the Democrats win. Now, the Republicans, they control the House. They control the Senate, and they have the White House. And they still cannot get a conservative plan in there, and they're still funding Obama's programs like Planned Parenthood. We are still paying Planned Parenthood, which is the largest uh, supporter of abortions in our country. Now, while they so they say that they don't take federal funds for abortion, there are ways that our money is used towards abortion. Let's be honest with that. And if you are a religious person, you don't want any of your funding going to any organization to that funds abortions. I get that. Um, government checks are still being cut to sanctuary cities to harbor murderers and rapists from federal immigration enforcement. Despite President Trump signing an executive order that was blocked by a judge, a liberal activist judge, who gave $400,000 to Barack Obama. And he was able to block cutting off funding from sanctuary cities. So now we're still funding sanctuary cities in this budget. There's nearly $3.1 billion for refugee resettlement, an increase on the cap of migrant workers under the H-2B visa program. And 99% of the EPA's budget, the Environmental Protection Agency's budget, was protected, even though President Trump's budget planned to slash that and put the money into better resources, okay? Because the EPA is too big, and there are too many regulations controlling us on every little stupid thing that may harm the environment, okay? When Americans really care about their jobs, they really care about putting food on the table. You know, we have 13 million Americans, 13 million more Americans on food stamps since 2009 when Obama came into office. And you have more people living in poverty than ever and the lowest labor participation rate since the 70s. Now, this budget does not help those people. Republicans better get their act together. They better get this health care plan in there tomorrow, which would undo the Obamacare taxes and then allow President Trump to get moving on this tax reform plan. And frankly, he may need to campaign across the country on the tax reform plan. I think that would be smart. I think he should go and do rallies on it um, and gain, boost some confidence when it comes to the tax reform proposal. But I, Americans will overwhelmingly support that. President Trump stirred the pot this week because he said that he suggested, he tweeted, that maybe our country needs a good shutdown in September in order to fix 
this mess. I agree. Okay? You know why? Because Republicans, instead of passing a budget that helps middle-class Americans, they are so worried about the government shutting down. Now, you know what? If the government shut down, you obviously you're going to have the essential services open. It wouldn't be a bad thing, okay? Because it would wake everyone up and it would tell the liberal Democrats that we're not going to allow you to keep pushing your spending programs in that do not help middle-class people that keep power in Washington. We are going, and this is what, the Republicans should stand for. This is what conservatives should stand for. Lower government, less control. Okay, it's basic. And frankly, the country could use a little bit of a, uh, you know, of intensity from Congress like they have, like we have from our president who's working tremendously hard to, um, to help us, whatever category you want to talk about, whatever policy you want to talk about. The threat of a shutdown is good because the Democrats would have been the ones responsible for it. So the Republicans should have allowed that to occur if the Democrats, if the Democrats allowed it to occur, I should say. The Republicans should have been all for it. And they shouldn't be afraid of a stupid government shutdown. Okay, they're just worried about re-elections and all that. But here's the deal. If the government shut down, people get scared about that. It's not going to mean much. Yeah, it shuts down for a day or two, big deal. Okay, your essential services are still open. But if the government shuts down over something like this because the spending is way too much, we're adding more to the debts, okay? We are not uh, taking away things that are that put a strain on the economy, that do not allow job growth, okay? If you have a threat of government shutdown, it's, it's fine. It's all it's a threat, and if it happens, it happens, okay? And the point of it is that Republicans are not fighting. And if they were to put up a fight and say, we got to get this wall done, we need it, it's a necessity, we are going to not include... Planned Parenthood. We're going to stop funding abortions. I know federal funds don't go to abortions for Planned Parenthood. In reality, they do. But, for sake of argument, stop funding Planned Parenthood. Stop. Uh, get the wall built. And they should have made that their fight. Instead, oh, we'll, we'll fight them next time. We'll go get them next time. There's not going to be a next time. You have the House, the Senate, and the White House. Get your act together. And then another thing that President Trump said was, well, how about we get rid of the filibuster? The filibuster has been so inappropriately used. It used to be about debate. The filibuster gave power to the minority party that used to it used to be rammed, you know, and, and not taken seriously in the chamber. Unfortunately, just the threat of a filibuster, just a Democrat saying, well, we may filibuster, just that threat thwarts any progress. That's stupid. That doesn't make any sense. A filibuster is supposed to be a debate. It's supposed to be someone standing up there for 20 hours and debating and forcing cloture. I don't know what cloture is. Cloture is um, the you need 60 votes in order to get to a vote. 
So there's a process there. So the filibuster, frankly, in my opinion, is outdated because it's not being used properly. They just threaten a filibuster. Oh, we throw our hands up. We can't do anything about it. In modern times, a minority party can filibuster by rallying more than 40 votes against a bill during this phase. There are currently 46 Democrats in the Senate, two independents who caucus with the Democrats. And Trump tweeted um, on the 2nd, so yesterday, either elect more Republican senators in 2018 or change the rules now 51%. Go nuclear on everything. You're met with all this stupid resistance from the Democrats that they can't even come to grips with a America first, a pro-America policy and a pro-America agenda. They cannot even support anything that President Trump puts forth. I mean, the only thing that they'll support is something that uh, would, if they don't support it, like veterans, they'd be booted out of there. It's honestly, Congress is a mess. They continue to be a mess. I criticize Trump a little bit because he should be fighting. Well, he is fighting, but we don't know what's going on internally. We know he's negotiating on health care. In fact, he pulled two senators together just today to say, get your act together and get this vote in. So he's negotiating. And I give him a lot of credit. But in the same regard, he should be fighting more on the budget. And I just, this budget is terrible. And it just, it does not allow for job growth. It continues the Obama administration policies. It's got to end. When is it going to end? And we can't keep blaming Obama forever. So we got to take responsibility. And frankly, Republicans in, in Congress, uh, they need to get their acts together. When we come back, James Comey, the FBI director, uh, comments on Hillary Clinton. The emails going to Anthony Weiner, which we knew already, but some new revelations on this whole, the whole machinations as it revolves around the Hillary Clinton email investigation. What was the FBI thinking? And President Trump meeting with the Palestinian leader, plus later on snowflakes and all that on the Neil A. Crystal Show podcast we roll along on this Wednesday. We are never going to let you down. And neither will Neil A. Crusoe. With you every day on the Neil A. Crusoe Show podcast and Sundays at noon Eastern on the Neil A. Crusoe Show on neilacrusoe.com. He's the real deal. Telling it the way it is to make a difference. A ranger station. I'd like to report a bear hug. Okay. I put out my campfire and Smokey Bear hugged me. So you drowned the fire, you stirred it, drowned it again, and felt that it was cold? Uh-huh. Yeah, but he's just letting you know you did good. Bear hug from Smokey Bear. Status update. I'm going to let you go now. There are many ways to start a fire, but one sure way to put it out. Learn how you can do your part at SmokeyBear.com. Sponsored by the U.S. Forest Service Ad Council and your state forester. Did you just look down at your phone? You did it again, didn't you? You know, you're flying down the road in a three-ton hunk of steel. And a text takes your eyes off the road for an average of five seconds. At 55 miles per hour, that's long enough to travel the length of a football field and cause some serious damage. Turn it off. Trust me. Whatever it is, you'll live. Learn more at StopTextStopRex.org. Brought to you by the Ad Council and the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration. Making the connection and making the difference. I'm appreciative of what you're talking about today.
Neely Crusoe is on the air to serve you, the American people. Log on to NeelyCrusoe.com so you never miss your real deal news and subscribe to the Neely Crusoe Show podcast on iTunes. Neil connects the dots and cuts the red tape so you stay one step ahead of everyone else. The Neely Crusoe Show podcast. October 27th, the investigative team that had finished the investigation in July, focused on Secretary Clinton's emails, asked to meet with me. So I met with them that morning, late morning in my conference room, and they laid out for me what they could see from the metadata on this fellow Anthony Weiner's laptop that had been seized in an unrelated case. What they could see from the metadata was that there were thousands of Secretary Clinton's emails on that device, including what they thought might be the missing emails from her first three months as Secretary of State. We never found any emails from her first three months. She was using a Verizon Blackberry then, and that's obviously very important. Because if, if there was evidence that she was acting with bad intent, that's where it would be in the but first three months. But they weren't there. Look, can I just finish my answer, Senator? Yeah. And so they came in and said, we can see thousands of emails from the Clinton email domain, including many, many, many from the Verizon Clinton domain, BlackBerry domain. They said, we think we've got to get a search warrant to go get these. And the Department of Justice agreed we had to go get a search warrant. So I agreed. I authorized them to seek a search warrant, and then I faced a choice. And I've lived my entire career by the tradition that if you can possibly avoid it, you avoid any action in the run-up to an election that might have an impact, whether it's a dog catcher election or President of the United States. But I sat there that morning, and I could not see a door labeled no action here. I could see two doors, and they were both actions. One was labeled speak, the other was labeled conceal. Because here's how I thought about it. I'm not trying to talk you into this, but I want you to know my thinking. Having repeatedly told this Congress, we are done and there's nothing there, there's no case there, there's no case there, to restart in a hugely significant way, potentially finding the emails that would reflect on her intent from the beginning and not speak about it would require an act of concealment, in my view. And so I stared at speak and conceal. Speak would be really bad. There's an election in 11 days. Lordy, that would be really bad. Concealing, in my view, would be catastrophic not just to the FBI, but well beyond. And honestly, as between really bad and catastrophic, I said to my team, we've got to walk into the world of really bad. I've got to tell Congress that we're restarting this, not in some frivolous way, in a hugely significant way. And the team also told me, we cannot finish this work before the election. And then they worked night after night after night, and they found thousands of new emails. They found classified information on Anthony Weiner, Somehow, her emails are being forwarded to Anthony Weiner, including classified information by her assistant, Huma Abedin. And so they found thousands of new emails and then called me the Saturday night before the election and said, thanks to the wizardry of our technology, we've only had to personally read 6,000. We think we can finish tomorrow morning, Sunday. And so I met with them. And they said, we found a lot of new stuff. We did not find anything that changes our view of her intent. So we're in the same place we were in July. It hasn't changed our view. And I asked them lots of questions. And I said, OK, if that's where you are, then I also have to tell Congress that we're done. Look, this was terrible. It makes me mildly nauseous to think that we might have had some impact on the election. But honestly, it wouldn't change the decision. Everybody who disagrees with me has to come back to October 28th with me and stare at this and tell me what you would do. Would you speak or would you conceal? And I could be wrong. But we honestly made a decision between those two choices that even in hindsight, and this has been one of the world's most painful experiences, I would make the same decision. 
I would not conceal that on October 28th from the Congress. And I sent a letter to Congress. By the way, people forget this. I didn't make a public announcement. I sent a private letter to the chairs and the rankings oh, of the wow. oversight committees. Did I know it's a distinction without a difference in the world of leaks, but it is. it was very important that I tell them instead of concealing. And reasonable people can disagree, but that's the reason I made that choice. And it was a hard choice. I still believe in retrospect the right choice, as painful as this has been. James Comey, the FBI director testifying on Capitol Hill earlier today, Wednesday. So here's the deal. We know that Hillary Clinton illegally used a private email server. Old news. However, very damning, okay? They couldn't prove her intent, but the emails were forwarded to a pervert in Anthony Weiner, who has sent pictures of his Weiner to young teenage girls. The husband of Huma Abedin, her closest State Department aide. It's kind of weird how both Hillary and Huma have disgusting husbands. Um, anyway, uh, but that's not the point of this whole thing. The point is, James Comey, you know, we've had, our intelligence has been politicized. I think Comey should go. However, in this context here, people forget leaking is very damaging. And Hillary Clinton, um, which you'll hear from later, okay, in our snowflake segment, because she's the ultimate snowflake. Hillary continues to blame Comey. She blames Russia. She blames misogyny for her loss. When she illegally used a private email server, she grants the State Department access to oppressive regimes like Saudi Arabia and Iran, Qatar, Kuwait, those countries who persecute Christians and Jews, who take money that funds terrorism, that they enslave women. Uh, women cannot leave the house without a male supervision. Women who adulterate are stoned to death. She takes their money and grants them State Department access. She said that she was under fire in Bosnia when the video shows that she was smiling and receiving flowers. Um, she also pushed the Benghazi lie that said that our four Americans died on September 11, 2012 because of the results of an anti-Islam video. That is false. And that was pushed by the Obama administration to protect a re-election campaign when in fact the reality was that they didn't just show up. It wasn't just a spontaneous protest. It was a terror attack. And with all of this, and with all of her lies, and with the fact that she did not campaign in Michigan, and she did not go to Pennsylvania where Trump beat her in a blue state, and she did not go to Wisconsin, and she offered zero message to the blue-collar Americans, and she wanted to continue the Obama disaster that left more people in poverty, more debt than all presidents before him combined. More Americans on food stamps. That she ran on that message, that worthless message, and she continues to blame everybody else. Okay? She's got to go away. And James Comey, who is now a political figure, has to go. President Trump, in fact, tweeted about Comey the other day after hearing about Hillary's comments. Uh, and... Trump said that uh, the FBI Director Comey was the best thing that ever happened 
to Hillary Clinton in that he gave her a free pass for many bad deeds. The phony Trump-Russia story was an excuse used by Democrats as a justification for losing the election. Perhaps Trump just ran a great campaign, and he certainly did. And he offered a very strong and compelling message to regular Americans. Now, here's the deal. Comey's defending this announcement on October 28th. It wasn't an, an announcement. We live in an era where everything is leaked, which is wrong. I think all leaks are wrong. He defended the media and saying that the media are not criminals. No, but the leakers are criminals. That is a criminal act. It's the leak intelligence. So when Comey issues a statement to Congress saying we have to reevaluate this because Congress oversees the FBI, then Congress should take that, okay, that's fine. Obviously, some Republican leaked its damage Hillary. It's pretty obvious. But regardless, she would have lost anyway because she was a bad candidate. And I feel bad for Comey in a way with this whole thing. But listen, he should have never came out on July 5th and said that uh, Hillary Clinton used uh, illegally used, uh, used the private email server in her basement. She sent or received 110 classified emails. Goes through a whole indictment, does not indict her. And the situation where Loretta Lynch met with Bill Clinton on the tarmac happened a week before, which really soiled this entire investigation. And he had to make this public announcement or felt he had to to cover their own tracks. And what he said today was Loretta Lynch and Bill Clinton meeting made him decide the DOJ couldn't independently investigate Hillary Clinton. Well, no blank, obviously. And, you know, Comey should have never made that statement. He should have investigated this privately. He should have said, we're, yeah, we're, you know, or don't even comment on it because you're not allowed to. Well, that's the policy of the FBI. We know that the Clinton Foundation is being investigated for its crimes. We know that the Clinton email server has been investigated. And Hillary lost because she used these things and engaged in these illegal activities. James Comey, though, has become a political figure. And frankly, I think Trump should fire him. I think it's time for him to go. I understand President Trump tried to give him a chance and didn't want to make it seem as if it is a political... Um, you know, uh, that he wants to politicize intelligence, and I think Trump wanted to just stay out of the hands of intel, as he should, um, in terms of, well, I mean, he gets the intel, but in terms of choosing who he gets the intel from, yeah, he should stay out of that. But now he's got to fire Comey, because Comey is just a, you know, is a political uh, person now, and is not seen as credible. And intelligence should never be politicized and should have never been politicized from the beginning. But this is a whole charade in front of Congress today. Meanwhile, someone who should be testifying in front of Congress is Susan Rice. Susan Rice was Barack Obama's longtime national security advisor. She declined today. Does that show some intent? She declined to testify before a Senate subcommittee about the Russian activities during the 2016 election campaign. And Senator Lindsey Graham had requested that Rice appear before the Senate Judiciary Subcommittee on Crime and Terrorism, but Rice refused to testify. In a letter addressed to Graham and the ranking member Senator Sheldon Whitehouse, Democrat from Rhode Island, 
Susan Rice's attorney said that her client opted not to appear because White House had said he did not agree with Graham that Rice should testify. And so we know that she has, Susan Rice has a checkered past in terms of the lying. Remember the Benghazi lie on five Sunday news shows. And she would be asked about unmasking of American citizens caught up in conversations with foreign targets of surveillance. Like Lieutenant General Michael Flynn, whose name is illegally unmasked, that puts his life and others in danger. There have been reports that she, rec that she personally requested to unmask the names of Trump transition officials. And that even though Rice denied this, she has double spoke on a few networks, on uh, both PBS and MSNBC, in a friendly interview. Uh, Rice uh, denied this, but we know that only 20 people can unmask American names picked up by incidental collection. And we know that the Obama administration changed the court rules that allowed the intelligence community, that allowed someone like Susan Rice to go get a FISA warrant, a foreign intelligence surveillance court order, to unmask someone's name, uh, to surveil, excuse me, on someone like a political adversary, like Donald Trump, who was clearly surveilled in Trump Tower because of suspected links to Russia, which is false, which is proven wrong. And she is being accused of providing detailed spreadsheets of intercepted phone calls involving Trump and his aides when he was running for president. And that she actually engaged in this illegal unmasking and she engaged in illegal surveillance of Trump and his aides, a political adversary to the Obama administration during the campaign that they picked up valuable political insights into the Trump campaign. Luckily, it didn't work. She said that, quote, at least nothing to nobody. Great English, I know. Um, the problem is here. We need answers, okay? We know that Trump was surveilled. Was this illegally done? Would she the one unmasking names? Could our names, even more importantly, can our names be unmasked intelligence reporting that would put us and our families in danger? If we were to have a conversation with someone from another company, country that was picked up by surveillance, as it should, and our names are unmasked, that will put our lives in danger. And this is a very dangerous precedent. And they're requesting... For a FISA warrant is not a high bar. All you have to do is say it's for national security reasons. It's almost like a rubber stamp. So she refuses to testify because obviously she doesn't know when to tell the truth. She lied about Benghazi under oath. She lied about it on national television five times. Five different shows on the same day. So she's got a credibility problem. Frankly, she, she should be on trial for perjury. She's a compulsive liar, but we need answers. We need to know that what is going on. Because listen, if you are concerned, if you don't agree with me and are concerned about the Trump presidency, well, then you would be concerned about Trump having the ability to unmask names to surveil on a political adversary in 2020. And that's exactly, or beyond that, and that is exactly what the Obama administration did. 
Um, there was a story earlier this week, and I just want to point this out before I get to uh, White House news uh, today. An ex-FBI translator, this is such a crazy story, it's unbelievable, married an ISIS fighter that she was ordered to investigate. And I don't know if you heard about this, but a former FBI translator with top-secret security clearance traveled to Syria in 2014 to marry an ISIS leader, Dennis Cusper, in June 2014, Daniela Green, is a former FBI translator. Apparently, she was in charge of investigating ISIS in the region and this uh, specific terrorist. And she ended up marrying the guy, the terrorist, in Syria. She knew she would be arrested. She told him that uh, he was being investigated by the FBI. And she came back after she married him in June 2014 and was was immediately arrested. She came back in August of 2014. She pled guilty and signed an agreement to cooperate with government officials— but she basically aided and abetted the terrorists. Just a, a weird story that we have an ex-FBI translator here that married someone from ISIS. Okay, clearly interested, uh, trying to support, uh, order to investigate this fighter, and clearly the, the ISIS fighter was too smart for her. And uh, it's just a bizarre story, and something that cannot happen. Um. You know, speaking of uh, other countries, by the way, uh, Europe, a travel warning issued in Europe, um, which is, uh, you know, in light of all this terrorism and the open borders, you have to be very careful about traveling outside the U.S. Frankly, I would not leave. Um, In the Middle East, President Trump met with the Palestinian leader, Mohammed uh, Abbas, today at the White House, pressing him to do more to combat and condemn terrorism, while also voicing confidence that he can uh, uh, mediate a lasting uh, peace agreement in the Middle East, something that has not um, happened under any administration. And we've been, you know, we have an issue here where uh, Palestine and Israel have a major conflict. Now, Palestine does not recognize Israel as a state of being. And that's at the core issue of this conflict. And Israel is being persecuted. Israelis are, are being persecuted by Palestine. Who, the Palestinian government actually pays their people to kill Israelis. It is really, we need to stand by Israel, and President Trump has. Uh, this is what uh, Abbas, the Palestinian leader, had to say through a translator, followed by our president and commander-in-chief at the White House, Mr. President, our strategic uh, option, our strategic choice is to bring about peace based on the vision of the two-state, a Palestinian state with its capital of East Jerusalem that lives uh, in peace and stability uh, with the state of Israel uh, based on the borders of 1967. Peace also means defeating ISIS and other terrorist groups. These groups are a threat to all people who cherish human life. I know President Abbas has spoken out against ISIS and other terrorist groups, and we must continue to build our partnership with the Palestinian security forces to counter and defeat terrorism. I also applaud the Palestinian Authority's continued security coordination with Israel. They get along unbelievably well. I had meetings. And at these meetings, I was actually 
very impressed and somewhat surprised at how well they get along. They work together beautifully. But there can be no lasting peace unless the Palestinian leaders speak in a unified voice against incitement to violate and violence and hate. There's such hatred, but hopefully there won't be such hatred for very long. Now, everything President Trump says and does, you have to understand, is a negotiation. Um, you know, when President Trump says, and a lot of these liberals playing semantics this week, President Trump says that um, he would be honored to meet Kim Jong-un. Well, yeah, because listen, okay, it's part of the art of the deal that we're going to bomb the you-know-what out of you and make sure that you do not strike us. But in the same regard, we will meet you anywhere, anytime. And that's what President Trump is saying. He's saying, come in my backyard and sit in front of me face-to-face -face and, and cut it out. And, and instead of Obama, you know, saying, oh, cut it out, well, I forget what that was in relation to. Is that uh, North Korea? He's going to tell them just to cut it out? Uh, whatever. But, you know, so tough. Trump, instead of saying, I'll meet with them. I'd be honored to. We'll take care of them. That, and you're playing semantics when it's like, oh, hi. you're praising a dictator. Uh, you praise Putin. Okay, and make this crap up. How does Trump get along with Putin? Not too well, is it? The peace process in the region of Palestine and Israel have been stalled since 2014 when former Secretary of State John Kerry's effort to lead the sides into peace talks collapsed. Since then, the Obama administration gave up. Now, President Trump has said we will support anything that the two sides come up with. Uh, Abbas said today, quote, we hope this will be a new beginning. He doesn't really mean that. And my caution to President Trump here, and I, I know he knows this, Palestine does not recognize Israel as a, as a state of being. They persecute them. They kill Israelis and pay their citizens and reward them for killing Israelis. It is imperative that President Trump acts tough with them. And at the same time, and I understand he's negotiating, but Palestine cannot have a two-state solution with Israel if they do not first recognize that Israel exists and stop paying its people that kill Israelis. Israel is our key ally in that region. We must stand by them. We must support them, especially Benjamin Netanyahu and his tremendous leadership there. Now, I'm in favor of moving the embassy in Israel from Tel Aviv to Jerusalem. Israel is who we should stand by. But Palestine has to come to grips with the fact that they cannot just persecute our ally and think that they're going to get away with it. And they're not going to help us fight ISIS. Let's be real. In Palestine, they're terrorists. Okay? They're terrorists in that region, Hamas, that exists in that region that is very, very dangerous. And uh, and without a wall, by the way, that that protects Israel, Hamas would overrun Israel. And it's very sad. Um, Trump broke with longtime U.S. policy in February by raising the one-state idea and saying that we're just going to stand by Israel and withholding clear support for, for an independent Palestine. Frankly, I wish it could just be Israel. 
but I think we got to uh, work from a, p- a place of negotiation and a, a place of uh, strength on this issue. And Benjamin Netanyahu understands Trump is negotiating. Remember when they met and Netanyahu said, um, I understand that you have to um, – that you're going to negotiate. We don't agree with you. We want to increase our settlements. But President Trump said, we asked you not to do that. That's the art of the deal. That's Netanyahu saying that's the art of the deal. Um, the U.S. Air Force today launched another long-range missile into the Pacific. Iran launched a missile today, by the way, that failed. Uh, so danger from the largest state sponsor of terrorism. Of course, we still accept refugees there because a judge blocked President Trump's travel suspension. The U.S. Air Force test launched another long-range ballistic missile today, this morning, flying more than 4,000 miles from a base in California before splashing down the Pacific near the Marshall Islands. This is the uh, second um, uh, missile test um, in a short amount of time. Uh, Not related to North Korea's new threats, but North Korea is ramping up their threats. They confirm that a third American is being held. As tensions rise, they confirmed today that is holding an accounting professor, bringing the number of uh, of people that they're holding, Americans that they're holding to three, in prisons as international tensions escalate. Um, Kim Sang-Dok, goes by the name Tony Kim, was nabbed at Pyongyang International Airport on April 22nd. But state-controlled media now in North Korea uh, has confirmed the development. The Korean Central News Agency said he is suspected of acts of hostility aimed at overthrowing the country. An accounting professor. A 58-year-old captive joins the University of Virginia student Otto Warmbier and businessman Kim Jong-shul in the Hermit Kingdom's uh, infamous gulags as the world continues uh, to pressure North Korea over its rogue nuclear weapons program. So now they are using American citizens' hostages as leverage. I want to get to immigration, and then we'll take a break, come back, wrap up with snowflakes. MS-13 brothers have been charged on Long Island, New York, in uh, in attempted murders. I want to give you the details on this, because this is very alarming. A pair of brothers who come from El Salvador, which is where MS-13 is based, they... They come from El Salvador. They come up through the U.S.-Mexico border, which is why we need a wall. The MS-13 gang members have been charged with attempted murder of two teenagers in separate machete attacks in Westbury, Long Island, New York. Assaults that come as Suffolk County has been nearly has seen nearly a dozen young people killed at the hands of notorious street gang MS-13 in the last year. About a dozen cases. And... They know because a machete attack is a signature case of MS-13, a signature MO. A third man, another MS-13 member, also faces an attempted murder charge in the most recent attack early Sunday. So in that case, a Newcastle, by the way, they're all illegal criminal aliens that do not belong in our country. They struck the victim with a machete in the stomach. Another one fired multiple shots at a victim from a handgun. A third man, third illegal criminal alien, fled on foot with the brothers. He acted in concert with the others, but the police wouldn't specify what he did. Okay, we have... Okay, they were arraigned today, by the way. They're criminal legal aliens. 
coming from El Salvador, MS-13 gang members, who are literally chopping people up in our country. They are on Long Island, New York. They are in Los Angeles. They are in Chicago, where the murder rate is already at last year's levels. This gang comes from El Salvador, up through Mexico, into the country. There is no doubt that President Trump's common-sense immigration policies need to be enforced. But instead, you have outrage, and he's racist, because he wants to enforce immigration laws, because our innocent American civilians are dying, are being killed by criminal, illegal criminals that do not belong here in the first place. Okay? These are, and we know who they are, we need to round them up and send them out. And we need to detain and deport all criminal legal aliens. They do not belong here. They have no right to live in our communities. And they have no right to kill innocent American people. This is absolutely disgusting. And the Democrats who receive, and I should say establishment Republicans as well, who receive all these special interest money from elsewhere are preventing national security. Are preventing Building a wall are preventing true security for our nation. It's time to drain the swamp, folks. The DOJ just released data on incarceration rates of illegal immigrants. Of the 45,493 foreign-born inmates in the federal prison system, made up of over 188,600 inmates, the DOJ said that only 3,939 are actually American citizens. That they're taking up our jails. We're paying for their jailing. They should be sent the hell out of here. The data is a requirement of the executive order that Trump signed in January to strip so-called sanctuary cities of federal grant funding and map out new priorities in enforcement of immigration laws. The order directs Attorney General Jeff Sessions to collect and provide quarterly data on incarcerated immigrants. He's also been providing data weekly on the um, on the uh, sanctuary city crime. And we know that since Trump has been uh, was uh, has inauguration, we know that murderers, rapists, drug dealers, and other crimes committed by criminal legal aliens have been detained and deported. Still a lot more to go, but frankly, it's common sense. Do we want criminals in our communities? Get them out, okay? And these MS-13 gang members have been allowed to thrive under the past eight years of the Obama policies that have allowed them to grow. They need to go. They need to go. And how many more people have to die? our communities how many more innocent children have to die it just that should honestly be a common sense thing but people don't get it instead they protest they don't show up for work and they're gonna resist so snowflakes coming up uh the supreme court you know it's interesting supreme court is actually weighing a new um case on whether immigrants should have their citizenship revoked because there is a case where someone from Bosnia lied about a refugee status 99, moved to Ohio a year later, got citizenship, and so she's going to be, they're going to be in front of the Supreme Court, and they are going to have to weigh whether or not to allow the lower court ruling that citizenship 
can be revoked from someone who lies about the citizenship. I think that your citizenship should be revoked if you commit a crime and you are an illegal criminal alien. What do you think? Let me know on social media. And the snowflakes who love that platform, we're going to talk about them and the grandmother of all snowflakes, Hillary Rotten Clinton. That is next on the Neil Akers Show Podcast. Neil will tell you the important things in life. It's the Neil, Neil A. Caruso, Caruso Show and the Neil A. Caruso Show Podcast. Log on to neilacaruso.com. Indoor baseball, anyone? Most party fouls are pretty dumb, but if you decide to drink and drive underage, you could lose your license and your freedom. Learn more at ultimatepartyfoul.org. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. Woo! Let's get crazy! In movies, when someone at a party jumps into a pool fully dressed, everyone cheers them on and jumps in too. Just so you know, in real life parties, nobody jumps in after you. You just look stupid. Come on, jump in. Come on. Most party fouls are pretty dumb, but if you decide to drink and drive underage, you could lose your license and your freedom. Learn more at ultimatepartyfoul.org. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. Green light. Hey girl, school zone. I'm getting hungry. Car changing lanes. You want to meet me for pizza? Stop sign. Intersection clear. Yeah, street. Pizza sounds good. Ball in street? Girl in street! (gasps) It's hard to concentrate on two things at once, like texting and driving. Stop the text. Stop the wrecks. How will you stop texting and driving? Tell us at stoptextstoprex.org. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. Straightforward talk that drives the political establishment crazy. If you like your doctor, you will be able to keep your doctor. Period. What, like with a cloth or something? I don't know how it works digitally at all. <laughs> Neil Caruso is on the air and telling it the way it is as you deserve. It's the Neil Caruso Show Podcast. All right, we are back the 3rd of May. Um, all right, so snowflake segment for you today Hillary Clinton and Barack Obama, they return to the public eye with new ventures. Uh, The two biggest names in Democratic politics because no one else knows any other names and we don't know what the future of the Liberal Party is going to be. Because, well, frankly, they just whine and complain about everything and that doesn't bode well when you really don't have a leader in that party. Uh, Obama is taking thousands of dollars for speeches. And after criticizing Wall Street, is now taking thousands of dollars to make appearances. Okay, how fast did things change? After now, he is saying, "Oh yeah, well, uh, I can make I can make money, and I'm gonna have this book deal and all this stuff, and I'm a capitalist now, which is fine." But the utter hypocrisy that you know, going after Wall Street and anyone that makes money, and now look at him—he's gonna be—he's gonna be rich. Based on his ex-presidency, that was that hurt the American people, and I got the people out of work, and we have the worst shape in terms of foreign policy and our economy that we've ever seen. Just a total mess inherited by President Trump, and then you have Hillary Clinton, who now is back in the public spotlight. She's out of the woods, out of the woods, 
and she will not take responsibility like every other snowflake. She is playing the blame game. It wasn't a perfect campaign. There is no such thing. Um, but I was on the way to winning until the combination of Jim Comey's letter on October 28th and Russian WikiLeaks raised doubts in the minds of people who were inclined to vote for me but got scared off. And the evidence for that intervening uh, event is, I think, um, compelling, persuasive. Uh, and so we overcame a lot in the campaign. We overcame an enormous uh, uh, barrage of negativity, of false equivalency, and so much else. Um, but as Nate Silver, who I, you know doesn't work for me, he's an independent uh, analyst, but one considered to be uh, very reliable, you know, has concluded, you know, if the election been on October 27th, I'd be your president, and it wasn't. It was on October 28th, and there was just a lot of funny business going on around that. And ask yourself this, within an hour or two of the Hollywood access tape being made public, the Russian theft of John Podesta's emails hit WikiLeaks. What a coincidence. So, I mean, you just can't make this stuff up. So, did we make mistakes? Of course we did. Did I make mistakes? Oh my gosh, yes, you know, you'll read my confession and my... <laughs> my request for absolution. <laughs> but the reason why I believe we lost were the intervening events in the last 10 days. And I think you can see I was leading in the early vote. I had a very strong, and not just our polling and, and data analysis, but a very strong um, assessment going on across the country about where I was uh, in terms of you know, the necessary both votes and electoral votes. She still doesn't get it. She lost because she had no message. She lost because she's a liar. She lost because she didn't campaign in Michigan and Wisconsin and ignored blue-collar workers. She ignored Americans. She, in fact, mocked them, as we found out through emails. Okay, And she didn't have to use illegally a private email server that made her the subject of an investigation by the FBI. She didn't have to use the Clinton Foundation as a conduit to the State Department that was the subject of an FBI investigation and, as far as we know, is ongoing. She did not have to lie about Benghazi. She did not have to lie about being under sniper fire in Bosnia. Okay, She did not have to be the most corrupt most untrustworthy candidate or person in American history, okay? She did not have to protect the alleged rape victims of her husband. So she continues to blame Comey. And by the way, Hillary, the election was not October 28th. The election was November 8th. Did you fall again? So... She continues to blame everyone but herself. She starts to take blame, and then like every other liberal snowflake, she puts the blame right on everyone else, and she also blames misogyny, okay? An abstract thing that, oh my God, we have all these bad men in the world, okay? Frankly, she's the sexist one, okay? So, 
she continues to blame everyone else but herself. And so she still doesn't get it. She's still going to make a lot of money, okay? And she's going to be part of the resistance. And she's going to be an activist now. That's all you ever were, Hillary. People never trusted you, okay? And the October 27th FBI letter that was leaked was never the reason why people didn't vote for you. They didn't vote for you because you're untrustworthy. And that's why there was a low turnout by Democrats. They should have never have rigged the primary for you in the first place. Uh, and the bleach bit. And what? With like a cloth? <laughs> and the Anthony Weiner. Okay? So, enough already. Uh, interestingly, Obama, get this, he once dreamed of being Donald Trump. It is, this is hilarious. Okay? That after all the criticism... Okay, it's like the middle schooler who is so jealous of somebody in school that they just hate on them, and in reality, they really like them. Okay, more than two decades before he railed against Donald Trump's temperament and core values, a young Barack Hussein Obama dreamed of becoming the billionaire businessman Donald J. Trump. Obamacare revealed his idolization of the Donald and what he stood for in a never-published book written with a classmate during his Harvard Law School days, portions of which are published in the upcoming Obama biography, Rising Star. And he said, Americans have a, quote, continuing normative commitment of the ideals of individual freedom and nobility. Um, the depth of this commitment may be uh, uh, summarily dismissed as the unfounded optimism of the average American. I may not be Donald Trump now, but just you wait. If I don't make it, my children will. <laughs> he wants it to be Trump. No one's Trump, okay? And no, and Obama sure as hell is not Donald Trump. Because Donald Trump gets things done. Donald Trump is working for the average person, unlike Obama. Uh, and, you know, I mentioned the speaking fee that Obama has. Uh, the $400,000. Well, Debbie Wasserman Schultz, who rigged the primary for Hillary Clinton, is saying that, well, it's not a big deal. That, of all people who question their commitment to getting money out of politics, like Hillary, to really making sure we restored integrity to political finance processes, President Obama couldn't have done more. Okay, says the person who rigged the primary for Hillary Clinton. Okay, oh my God. The hypocrisy and this, these liberal snowflakes are unreal. You know what's even worse? Okay, you know, it, it gets worse than this. Stephen Colbert on Monday on the late, whatever the show is called on CBS, the late night show, I don't watch it. Here's this liberal snowflake, Stephen Colbert, in such divisive, disgusting, mean-spirited rhetoric against our president. Dickerson gamely tried to get Trump to commit to releasing his tax returns finally, but it was the same old song and dance about under audit. So, I'd like to rephrase the question. Mr. President, can you talk about your tax returns as a metaphor for your penis? I have a very big tax return. You've seen the pictures. My tax return is probably higher than that from the floor. When you look at other people's tax return, even other wealthy people, their tax return is this thing. My tax return is this high. We get it. You have a huge tax return. But you know what would be nice? A full release. 
I'm flattered, but I'm not into that scene. <laughs> I gotta say, walking out in the middle of a sentence wasn't even the president's biggest insult to John Dickerson. And I think actually I've been very consistent. You know, it's very funny when the fake media goes out, you know, which we call the mainstream media, which sometimes I must say is you. But when the you fake. Mean me personally, or. Uh, your show. I love your show. I call it Deface the Nation. Really? Donald Trump, John Dickerson is a fair-minded journalist and one of the most competent people who will ever walk into your office. And you treat him like that? Now, John Dickerson has way too much dignity to trade insults with the President of the United States to his face. But I, sir, am no John Dickerson. And when you, okay, all right? Let me introduce you, let me introduce you to something we call the Tiffany Way. When you insult one member of the CBS family, you insult us all. Bazinga. All right? Here we go. All right? Get the gloves off. Mr. Trump, your presidency, I love your presidency. I call it disgrace the nation. You're not the POTUS. You're the bloatus. You're the glutton with the button. You're a regular gorge, Washington. You're the president, but you're turning into a real prictator. <laughs> Sir, you attract more skinheads than free Rogaine. You have more people marching against you than cancer. You talk like a sign language gorilla who got hit in the head. In fact, the only thing your mouth is good for is being Vladimir Putin's holster. Your presidential library. Presidential library. Your presidential library is going to be a kids' menu and a couple of jugs magazine. The only thing smaller than your hands is your tax returns, and you can take that any way you want. Absolutely disgusting. Okay, coming from someone always oh, so brave to go after our president, that was disgraceful. To go after our president in front of a bunch of like-minded audience members who support this liberal snowflake drivel. Stephen Colbert and apparently will, is refusing to apologize. The only thing he apologized for because, ironically, the one thing liberals were upset about was the, you know, homosexual reference, okay? The bleep there was another word for a male's genitalia. You could figure that out on your own. It starts with the letter C. And... He said that Putin, whatever, his, whatever he said, okay, and I'm repeating his mindless crap, okay? The sick part is, this was scripted. The sick part is that he and his writers conspired to write this and went on air with this. This was not just popping out of the head. This was planned. This was, uh, we're going to disgrace our, our nation and our president by saying something like this, okay? And this has to stop. It has to stop. These people are out of control. And the only reason why I'm playing this for you is because this is the kind of rhetoric that you hear in some parts of this country from certain people, from these snowflakes, who believe that Trump is so bad that they can say whatever the hell they want. God forbid I said that about Hillary. Now, the liberals are only upset with Colbert because he made a homosexual reference and that was disparaging to the gay community, so he apologized for that. Ironically, he's going to get himself in trouble with like-minded people, not about the president, but, you know, in terms of totally 
slandering our president and and making a buffoon out of himself, like he is a bumbling buffoon. But he is going to get himself in trouble with like-minded people because of the homosexual joke. Okay, that's the ironic part. Okay, he's not funny. He's absolutely disgusting, and this is what these snowflakes do. They walk around with hats of women genitalia claiming, you know, Trump uh, sexually assaulted women when that is not true, okay? Uh, never proven to be true. They bring up, like Hillary did, the Access Hollywood tape when Hillary has said much worse things and has done much worse things and they, what President Trump did and apologized for, okay? For someone who doesn't apologize, he did apologize. And it was how many years ago that NBC sat on it to leak it, okay, to ruin him. Also, one thing on what Hillary said before. Hillary, the grandmother of Snowflakes, says that this tape came out. Ironically, the WikiLeaks thing came out right afterwards. Well, how many times did Trump have a great week, a successful diplomatic week, uh, whether it be the economy, whether it be tax reform, whatever, and then the media— pushes a story about Trump and Russia, okay? So shut up, okay? Because the bias that is so prevalent from the media is then seeping into the snowflakes. And Stephen Colbert should be ashamed of himself. I don't think, though, and here's the deal. I It's free speech. And, like, we had a UC Berkeley student on my show on Sunday, and he— said terrible things about Ann Coulter, about conservative speakers. I pinned him on it. He couldn't name an example. They go onto my website to check that interview out for itself. And what I said to him was, I'm glad we had constructive debate and dialogue. I have no problem with speech. Stephen Gobert, frankly, can say whatever he wants. He has the First Amendment right to do so. But, so I, uh, ends, I should say, on that note, I do not think that people should boycott him. I don't think that she should be fired, okay? Yes, you may be surprised that I'm saying that. I don't think that he should be fired for saying that because he is entitled to his opinion, and he is entitled to have one. And frankly, what liberals are doing is shutting all these conservative speakers up, whether it be Sean Hannity, whether it be Bill O'Reilly. Now, listen, he has had allegations. We don't know what the truth is. But... They want to shut up conservative speakers. They want Ann Coulter not to speak at UC Berkeley. They have a coordinated effort to make sure that college campuses only spew liberal crap. Okay? That there's only a one-sided dialogue, monologue, coming from their echo chamber. That conservatives aren't allowed a point of view because they believe that it is racist, homosexual, Islamophobia, whatever these phobias that I'm supposed to have. Stephen Colbert has a right to free speech. The content of it, absolutely disgusting and disgraceful. He has a right to say it. So I don't think that people should boycott Stephen Colbert and go after his advertisers because I don't think that's right because we shouldn't be shutting up speech. However, Stephen Colbert should remember that he is an American citizen and because of that, he has the rights and the privileges that he can say whatever is on his mind, that he is blessed to be in our country. And if you really don't feel blessed being in our country under President Donald Trump and you feel as if you are so oppressed and that things are so bad, then why don't you go to a different country and live under their laws and deal by their rules and go live there for a week? And if you make it back to America, 
If you live to make it back, then tell me how it was for you in another country. Other than that, he's allowed to say it. Absolutely disgusting. He's a buffoon. Okay? Anyone says something like that is disgusting. Have some respect for your president and for your office. For the, for the office of the president. I would never say anything like that about Barack Obama. As much as I disagree with his policies, I would never say something like that. Absolutely disgusting. These snowflakes, I tell you, bad news. And they're the ones that are the loudest speakers. But they don't have the votes because they don't show up. So usually, you know, a little inebriated on election day. Uh, all right, that wraps up the long podcast for you today. We just had a lot of news to get to, so I hope you enjoyed the podcast today. We'll be back tomorrow. There should be a healthcare vote. If not, I will go nuts on that, but we'll see what happens with the healthcare vote tomorrow in the House. It's supposed to happen, and much more as we roll along on the Neil Akers Show podcast. So blessed to be with you every single day. God bless you, and God bless America. Do your part to make America great again. We'll talk to you tomorrow. The Neil A. Crusoe Show podcast is a production of Crusoe Enterprises. Engaging, informing, and entertaining. Passion-driven, factual content that makes a difference following Neil A. Crusoe on social media. And log on to neilacrusoe.com to sign up for Crusoe's comments, newsletters, and be the first to know.